Welcome to Blink of an Eye, life stories of trauma, loss, awakenings, and epiphanies, beginning with one mom's journal entries recorded in real time of a catastrophic diving accident rendering her teenage son paralyzed from the neck down, and the courageous fight to save his life. Told through unedited text and journal entries and inspiring guest interviews, Blink of an Eye will take you on a powerful journey of advocacy and hope and an unvarnished look at the true nature of our relationships and interconnectedness in the face of an event that changes everything. Episode 12, Some Things Stay the Same, August 7th, Day 3, Life Can Change in the Blink of an Eye. I was wondering where that Hispanic family went. You remember them, right? The family I saw when I first arrived. They were in the waiting room. Oh, they were just wailing. Their crying was unforgettable. And then I saw them later that night and kind of on and off all day yesterday in the family waiting room. I think it was their brother uncle, if I remember correctly, who had been in a bad motorcycle accident, and it sounded awful. Oh, but they were even sadder, clinging to each other because they were not allowed to see him and be with him altogether. My heart just ached for them. They were so sad, and there were so many of them. All they wanted to do was to be together, just like we do. I understand that. Hmm. I haven't seen them yet today. I just don't understand the rhythms of this intensive care unit yet, or how it all works. It's hard to even leave to go to the bathroom to tell you the truth, because I don't want to miss any staff coming in. I am beginning to understand, though, some of how this trauma unit works. The doctors do the procedures, surgical and bedside surgical. Then they come back one time for a nanosecond, like the day after the surgery, to check on you, like Dr. Radcliffe did yesterday, which is why we had that second family meeting with him. But I had requested that. Otherwise, it seems that you don't see a doctor or surgeon again. If you have questions later, well, you missed your opportunity. Because everything is so new to me, I realize my questions are coming to me after the doctor has come and gone. Have you ever been in the hospital with a loved one and it was the same way for you? So, I've been asking the nurses and other medical personnel. By and large, they say, you'll have to ask the doctor. That's just not helpful. I mean, I get it. I began to write down my questions in my notebook to ask the doctor. I realize in the short time we've been here that Archer has already had three different surgeons, at least that I'm aware of. I mean, it's kind of weird to think about it that you don't even know who all is in a surgical room with your child when a major procedure is being performed. I guess there might be other doctors who have worked on him, 
I don't even know who they are. I certainly haven't met them. Isn't that weird? Do you know, the one time I walked out of Archer's hospital room this morning when Billy and I talked with Dutch, the surgeon who put the test tubes in last night came in. The one time we were not there and we completely missed him. It all happens that fast. So I never want to leave Archer's room, even to go to the bathroom. And honestly, I decided I wasn't going to leave unless I had to. I confess, I use the waste toilet in Archer's room. It's the one that's in the corner. I did. I mean, it's a regular toilet. It has a sink and all. And it was, it's a rare time I was the only one in the room with Archer. And I just pulled a chair in front of it because I didn't want to leave him. But I don't even think I've gone to the bathroom today. We were told not to drink the water in the room. And the kids said the vending machines just have soda have to remember to ask the kids to bring a case of water up here. I realize we're really not drinking anything. I watched how they adjusted the breathing tubes in Archer's mouth and nose that were keeping him alive. It's so weird to think that is what's keeping Archer alive. But they said they were just temporary. It's also strange that they actually need adjusting. They're taped onto him, but I guess they can slip. I wonder what it's like for Archer to have all that tape for the tubes on his face. Oh, Lord, it must be uncomfortable. I just never wanted him unattended. You know, I don't think there's a good time to leave a hospital room when you have a loved one in a trauma unit. I really, really don't. There's just too much that goes on. I want to be on top of it. They won't explain what they're doing, really. So I'm just going to have to watch. I'd be curious what your thoughts are about that. What time is it now? I started to draw the curtain back, separated Archer's room from the hallway to look up at the big clock in the wide trauma intensive care unit corridor. Hmm. But I remembered noticing when Pete hung the poster the Kate May friends brought that there's a huge industrial clock on the ceiling beam in Archer's room. You know, like the ductwork above his bed. But it's facing the head of the bed so that anyone lying in the bed sees it when they just look straight forward and up. It strikes me as so odd because when Archer's on his back, which is like always until at least last night, that's all he can see, that clock. And his neck in this immovable large blue neck brace, that means he just stares at it. I don't know about you, but it would be torture staring at a clock when you couldn't move. I wonder why they chose that spot. Why wouldn't they put that clock on a wall behind the bed where staff could see it even more easily 
without having to turn around and so that the patient wouldn't have to stare at it. Imagine if all you had to look at was a clock and watching the second hand move one second at a time all day long. It's no wonder Archer kept his eyes closed most of yesterday. But today, because we need his lungs to drain, he's literally vertical. He's perpendicular to his bed. I've watched them move him once into that position. It was this morning. And they said they will be doing that every four hours, alternating sides, 24-7. That's a lot. Well, being vertical, that's why he can focus on Pete reading to him because that's all he sees. I mean, he can't move his neck and, well, can't move the rest of his body either yet. But he is focused and his eyes look bright and shiny. You know, there's such a difference in eyes that look shiny versus glassy. You know what I mean? Archer, his eyes look shiny today. So I looked up at that clock and her big hands said it was almost noon. Noon. The time flies around here. So much happens, I just can barely keep track. I'm grateful for my notebooks for writing things down, even though I am the only one really using them so far. But that's okay. I haven't figured out a system yet, except to try to note who has been in the room. I did make a mental note to remember to ask the kids, though, and my sister Elizabeth when they come back, or whoever is in the room later when I'm not here, please keep track of things for me. Our daughter, Paula, had come to the hospital and joined our son, Petey, and they're alternating reading to Archer from Sue's chef. They get stopped about every page by some staff coming in to do something. They gave us the visitor update, though, that Dewey, one of our other sons, said he was coming to the hospital later this afternoon, and that our neighbor, Kathy Gianoscoli, whom you've previously met, was on her way, bringing meatballs for lunch. People are so kind. Food, it's always good. Thank you, Kathy. Truthfully, for anyone else who wants to help, what I want most for people to do is pray. Oh my gosh, as I'm thinking about yesterday, I didn't tell you about two wonderful visits. It was late afternoon. A nurse came in to tell me there were visitors in that waiting room. Oh, that was such a good sign. I'm grateful my note on the front desk is working. I don't want anyone turned away. I said to her, oh, thank you so much. That's wonderful. Yes, yes, please send them down. Even when I didn't know who it was. But I had everything I needed to know because she had said there were four young men. And she seemed kind of surprised at my embrace of visitors. Well, I looked down the hallway as yes, four 
young, big men. And our son Dewey came walking down the hallway with big smiles. I was overjoyed that Archer's friends would come from so far. I knew they would. At least, I thought they would. I hoped they would. Dewey had been in the family waiting room as we alternated, and they must have texted him or something. Walking down the hallway were Patrick and Robbie Black, Bobby Austin, and Jordy Alardo, four of Archer's and Dewey's McDonough High School lacrosse friends. The six of them were all lax, well, lax, that's short for lacrosse. They were all lax players in high school, and they had overlapped a year, which made our going with Archer to all of Dewey's lacrosse games very special for our family. Oh, that whole year was special. Had I only known, how very special. I had this wave pass over me, though, as I realized I better prepare these boys. They were the first of Archer's friends, his peers, to come visit. I had no idea what it would be like for them seeing Archer. It's funny, you know, how used to something you can get in such a short time. Seeing Archer being hooked up to all that life support, tubes, and no ability to move. But I knew how it was for me, seeing my son in all those tubes. I thought I'd better warn them. Well, regardless, I knew Archer would be overjoyed. At least, I thought he would be. I hoped he would be. I greeted the boys and then pulled them aside into a huddle in the hallway outside Archer's curtain. I had to tell them about the only two visitors in a room rule and tell them about the family waiting room and how we used it for trading off. But you know, as I told them, I had this little light bulb go off. It's only two visitors in his room. I'm not a visitor. I'm his mother. Well, anyway, I felt I needed to let the boys know what to expect and not expect. You know, it's almost cruel not to prepare kids for something that is so stark, if it's even possible. But the hospital, it's always so loud with the beeps and buzzers. Have I told you about the sounds before? Oh my gosh. Beep, 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 beep. It's really hard to think, especially when you need to. Although I suppose you strangely get used to it. Maybe, I don't know, maybe not. But honestly, it's loud. Nonetheless, even with all that in the background, I still whispered. Thank you, boys. Thank you so very much for coming. But I don't want you to be too alarmed, okay? 
you're going to see he has a lot of tubes and machines around him. But please don't be afraid to reach out. You can touch him. It's okay. Okay? Just be careful of the tubes. Don't move the tubes. But I know Archer will be so happy to see you. I looked at those boys looking at me so earnestly. And then they looked down at the floor. I wasn't sure, but I just said, thank you. Thank you again for coming so far. Thank you, boys. I tried to be strong. And then I tried to smile at them as I pushed the curtain aside. Here are some excerpts of the interviews I recently had with Robbie Black and Bobby Austin. Yeah, I just remember being really, really nervous. And uh, and quite honestly, I was was pretty scared to show up. You know, obviously it was hard. Yeah, I I can't tell you how warm my heart was because I'm like, they've, oh my gosh, they've come. You know, Archer's friends, they're coming. And you were the first. Yeah. You all were the first. I was talking to my family and my parents because they obviously know you and the whole Scent family well from McDonough days. And, you know, I I guess our thinking was we didn't want to be, I don't know if a distraction is the right word, but, you know, sometimes at least we thought since the injury and news was so fresh, we didn't want to add too much maybe by showing up. But I remember I texted Dewey just saying, hey, do you think it would be helpful or appropriate if we just showed up for an hour, even it's just hanging out in the waiting room, you know? And I think that's literally what we did. I remember, I'll never forget the room we were at, I think on the corner next to Archer's room, or I don't know if it was adjacent, but it was on the same floor, obviously. And that was kind of like our home base. I remember Robbie, Jordy, Patrick, and I just rotated visiting Archer. I think it was Jordy and I visited him, and then obviously Robbie and Pat with you and Mr. Semp. So obviously it was, uh, it was tough, but, you know, I'll never forget that day. Oh yeah, I remember when, when I saw him for the first time with Jordy, you know, obviously it was hard and, uh, you know, just had to kind of prepare yourself, especially, you know, being nice to you and stuff like that. I remember my uncle telling me kind of before we came, he was like, you know, and my parents really were like, you know, just a heads up, this is going to be really tough. And I drove with my brother who was in Archer's class in McDonough. And I remember the car I just been really it was really quiet. I mean, usually my, me and my brother, you know, talk a lot in the car or whatever, but it was really quiet because I think we were just both really not really knowing what to expect and obviously, you know, just kind of nervous to see kind of Archer in, in the state he was in then. And uh, I just remember being really nervous. You know, I mean, I think just seeing, you know, I think a lot of it was kind of the fear of the unknown and not knowing what kind of state Archer was in, you know, knowing he was going to be, you know, most likely a lot of pain when we saw him and you know, not really able to speak and um so i think it was mainly just the fear of kind of what he was going through and what your family was going through um it was definitely something i was thinking of at the time when we were driving to atlantic city yeah you know i, I just kind of i'd never you know been obviously no one had been in a situation like this before and um 
I remember just being really nervous and kind of scared um, to see, you know, obviously him, you know, the way he was, but also, you know, just kind of, you know, being around the family because you guys were obviously going through so much then. I could see by the look on their faces that no matter what I had told them, nothing was going to prepare them for the sight. The boys, now young men really, were quite brave. You know, I know it was painful for my friends and my sister to see Archer, but I think it's Archer's friends, you know, high school, first year in college boys and girls in their prime of life, 17, 18, 19, with so much life ahead of them, for whom, when they saw Archer for the first time, it was painful. Maybe most painful, I don't know. Or maybe painful in a different way, like a combination of confusing and frightening and sort of put you on high alert. I mean, not so much like a gut wrench. I don't know, maybe it is like a gut wrench. But in just watching them, it seemed like it was a more sobering wake-up jolt. I mean, Archer is just like they are. And they are just like he is. This accident could have happened to any of them, to anyone diving in the ocean. And they were all on their summer vacations at the beach, the same Atlantic Ocean beaches, swimming and diving in the ocean with their families where so many Marylanders go every August. I could tell by the looks on their faces that it's quite possible, I mean, I don't know, but it's quite possible that at least one of them was having the thought flash across his mind, this could have been me. Yes, it could happen to anyone. And then I think is the next haunting question, why Archer? It was awkward, but I watched Archer's eyes that were bright and lit up as the boys moved closer to his bed, one of them, I think Bobby, went to give Archer a high five. You know how boys do when they greet each other. And Archer tried to return that high five. But his arm just dangled like one of those gruesome rubber arms at a Halloween haunted house. It just flopped on the bed. He struggled mightily to move his shoulder with his neck in a motion to get his arm up. And he was smiling with his eyes mainly and his lips as best he could with all the tubes in his mouth and his nose, trying very hard with a smile. But it wasn't really funny. He had a look on his face like he'd make them laugh with his efforts as his eyes twinkled. But I also saw a flicker of, I really can't do this. 
which I imagine, I mean, I don't know, but I imagine must have terrified him. And I think the whole scene stunned the boys. Archer by nature is very clever and witty. It really is so hard to comprehend that someone so virulent is not able to move. And there was no way to make a joke out of it. And Archer, I don't believe, had intended to. It was a horror that unfolded for him and his friends at the same time. It was hard for me, too, as I watched from the door. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. It's not something Archer may have really comprehended either until that moment. The air in the room was tense and it matched the boom, ba 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 boom, ba 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 and the high-pitched and intermittent nee 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 Archer's blood pressure cough as the boys seemed speechless and even backed away a bit. I'm sure frightened and even disturbed, not sure what to do. There was not any, hey, how are you, man? Looking good. Laugh, laugh. You know, say your hellos, give a high five, see you later and leave. No, there was none of that. There was profound silence. I felt the profoundness of it cross over me as well. It was more of a reality check, I guess, for me. Perhaps for all of us. I felt it from head to toe. I moved closer to them all, and I said, Hey, guys, it's okay. Right, Arch? They really looked pale and wan all of a sudden. And I said, hey, Arch can't do a high five right now, but he will sometime, right, Arch? It's okay, guys. You can touch Archer's arm or his hand, and he can hear you, and you can still chat with him. And here's an ABC board. It might be helpful if you want to use it. And I handed them the children's felt board from the drugstore. I told him, I'll go in the other room. I'll be back in a little while. I wanted to give them some privacy. I walked back into the hallway, leaving them to work it out on their own. I was about to tell you, I'll never know what it was like for them. But the beauty of these interviews is that we are all learning and processing together. Here's Robbie Black, and then Bobby Austin. I definitely remember you kind of, I don't know if we sat down or it was just outside of the room, but I kind of remember you prefacing kind of what it was going to be like. And I think that was definitely comforting going into it. So, yeah, I mean, it was, it was definitely um, a little nerve wracking seeing someone that you knew, you, you grew up with kind of, you know, with, you know, tubes in them and, and all that sort of stuff. I think it was definitely scary. And I just, 
I remember thinking just not even being able to imagine what he was going through and and what you guys were going through um, was, was something that I, I remember pretty vividly. Yeah, I, I think looking back on it, I remember thinking, you know, how like, something like this could happen to someone like Archer and, and a family like you guys. I don't know. None of it like made sense really, you know, but, um, you know, and just kind of thinking like why and how this, how something, you know, like this could happen to such a, a great person. Um, it's something I remember just kind of thinking about and, um, and just seeing, you know, just seeing him laying there was, was really, uh, was really scary and, and not knowing. I mean, obviously it was, it was tough, but hopefully Arch, I mean, Archer felt a little more normal with, you know, people he obviously knew and was friends with. That was kind of our thinking. So, uh, but you know, same old Archer, I remember <laughs> I was trying to, provide some comfort and anything we could really say to make it somewhat, you know, maybe more relaxed and help them out at, you know, any way we could. Yeah. Difficult time, obviously. So what was going through your mind during those silences? Um, you know, not to sound cliche, like cliche or anything, but just trying to keep, I keep saying it some sense of normalcy in a time where I think that probably seemed impossible. It's, it's so curious that, that he was the same old Archer. What makes you say that? Just that I remember when Jordy and I walked in, and he couldn't he couldn't speak. Obviously, knew he was alert and there mentally. Just his facial expression, I thought that was one thing I'll never forget. How fragile life is, really. Hard as it was for all, Archer's spirits were really lifted by that visit. Bobby and Robbie were right just bringing some normalcy and familiarity to a time that was so upside down was a great comfort. Like Kathy G's meatballs. You know, Bobby Austin shared something with me that was very wise. And I think as Archer experienced it, very true. Here's what he said. And I think we just talked about random stuff for five minutes um yeah i thought it was obviously hard but you know hopefully if i remember jordy and i if we tried just to be uh not i don't know if normal is the right word but just have a normal you know lighthearted conversation i hopefully that would have been better than being stiff or you know not being ourselves it's painful because you feel for your friend and friend's family, obviously with something tragic, but at the same time being there as a friend and maybe just a new, but familiar face. Like I was saying, at least I would have thought for me, that would have made a huge deal. It did make a huge deal. I could tell by Archer's alertness and skin pallor, how much he loved seeing his friends. If you ever have a friend in a trauma unit and you think you might get in the way, or even if their family thinks you might get in the way, go anyway. The person in that bed will have their spirits lifted, even if just two minutes. Like I loved it how Bobby said, even if they just had to stay waiting in the waiting room. What a dear. It's just a loving gesture to visit the sick. It's a real act of love and friendship.
As for Archer, he loved seeing his friends despite the shock of his floppy arm. You know, it occurred to me that he loves seeing people who can really see him. I bet you've had that feeling too, huh? Well, I saw it on Archer's face yesterday and today. The brightness in his eyes. The soft alertness way he looked back at Pete, Paula, my sister, and Kathy G. And the way they looked at him. They could see Archer for Archer. Just like Bobby and Robbie and Patrick and Jordy did, he's still Archer. I pray he is still Archer. With Billy, Paula, and Pete here with Archer, and it looks like he's sleeping again, I thought I'd slip into the family waiting room to try to make a dent in returning all these calls to the insurance company and to my office. And, oh, my Lord, I don't even know who's feeding and taking care of our dog and cat. I feel sick. Whom can I call? Our kids were taking care of the neighbor's cats. Oh, my Lord, whom can I call for help with that? Let me think. Oh, I had another text coming in. Oh. Whoa, this is good news. Someone just sent me this article about this man who broke his neck, C5, but walked within a couple weeks like his paralysis was just temporary. I don't get that, but it sounds awesome. And I believe it. It says, it says, I'm going to read it. His neck was broken, but his spinal cord was not damaged. Maybe that will be the same for Archer. Oh, I feel elated. <sighs> I got up to go back to Archer's room, walking on air. I can't wait to show that article to Billy and the kids. I looked at the hall clock. Oh, my gosh. I've been in there for hours. The time just flies around here. I thought I'd go inquire about the Hispanic family. Maybe they'd figured out a protocol, or hopefully they all figured out a way to be together. I walked down the hallway, looking for a nurse in the donut hole where all their desks were, who might be able to tell me what room they were in. Do you know what I learned? I was stunned. I can feel a tightness in my chest, even as I tell you now. I'm telling you, this trauma I see you it's tense and full of high drama. There's just a membrane separation between life and death. I asked the nurse, Hi, hey, I'm Archer's mom. We're in room 3117. I was looking for the Hispanic family. Their family member was in a bad motorcycle accident, and we've been together in the family waiting room, but I haven't seen them today. She looked up and said, they were discharged. Discharged, I asked. Yeah, he didn't make it. He didn't make it? 
they lost their uncle and brother? Oh my God, how could that be? I turned and walked back to Archer's room. They were just like we are. All they wanted to be was together. It was now afternoon I could see on the big clock. But I turned around and went back to the nurse. Can you tell me, was their whole family able to be together with him before he passed away? She sort of looked at me and said, it was kind. I'm not sure. I felt sort of sick, though, and deeply sad for their loss. I thought about that man. I hope he had some comfort in knowing they were there with him in his hospital room. I thought about how they were all there in the hospital. Even when not so welcomed, they were all there. Oh, it's so important to show up. I thank Archer's friends, all of you, for showing up. I want to show up. I pray Archer knows we will never leave him, whatever happens, ever. Life can change in the blink of an eye. It's crazy the intensity of the ups and downs of the traumatic event because it's not just one event. It unfolds. And it's not just traumatic for the one person. It affects so many. I mean, it's full of ups and downs, even for those who are listening in, so to speak. It just seems there's a lot at stake at every turn. And even in the course of one day in a trauma-intensive care unit, the highs and lows, the anger, the joy, the confusion, the clarity, the anticipation, the letdown, the new information, the unknown, and the constant pounding electronic sounds. It's an emotional roller coaster. I now know that the trauma roller coaster from a crisis or a deep loss can wreak havoc on your health. Current psychobiology says that the experience of trauma resides in your body and that your adrenal glands are the first responders. Adrenal glands. Yep. Ever heard of them? You probably have. We all have two. That's right. We have two adrenal glands. They're located in our upper abdomen and are situated right above our kidneys. What do our adrenal glands do for us, you might ask? They produce and release certain hormones. And two of the hormones I bet you're familiar with, cortisol and adrenaline. Yep, that's right. You know, it's familiar now, right? Cortisol is released as part of the body's alarm system in a crisis. I teach this as part of understanding the conflict experience, fight, flight, 
And there's also freeze and collapse. Well, adrenaline is released also as part of the alarm system. But adrenaline makes us more alert. And these hormones are part of our body's way of controlling and regulating not only our stress response, but also our metabolism, our blood pressure, and our salt and water balance in our bodies, just to name a few things they do. If you or I am in constant stress, the adrenal alarm button stays on. I think mine was on for a long time. You can imagine how shot your adrenal glands can get working overtime like this, especially if you are on nonstop or if you are exhausted without rest for long periods of time. You might be regularly irritable, but really it may be a deep, unexplored sadness. Or you might cry uncontrollably for weeks or months. These are just signs that your adrenals are shot. I know this now. But I did not know this when I was in Atlantic Care with Archer. I want you to know this because I do not want your body to suffer from what you have had to endure with crisis or trauma, or deep loss. Oh yes, the adrenals can really get damaged in trauma, long-term damage. So if you or someone you love is in crisis now or has gone through a trauma or a great loss years ago, the adrenal glands can always benefit, even now, with adrenal support. Yes, that's right. You might not have considered taking care of your organs but maybe you will now. And others of you might be very aware of taking care of your organs. And you already know how important adrenal support is. The good news is that a lot of long-term damage can be reversed if you take the right steps now. We might talk more about things like that later. If you're interested, let me know. Send me an email at Louise at blinkofaneyepodcast.com. Gosh, the organs in our bodies work so hard to keep us alive. So if you have suffered a crisis or a deep loss in your life recently or even years ago, please consider looking up adrenal gland support. Please don't say no to loving your body. <laughs> if that's a hard concept, Consider loving your organs on the inside of your body. I love you, and I want you to be well. Isn't it amazing the drive our organs have to keep us alive so we can keep those we love alive? We can really thank our organs. We can be so grateful for healthy organs like our adrenal glands. You know, I think that one of our jobs on earth in this life is to be grateful and to live, to live fully and to live with joy and care, care of others 
and of ourselves. Show up for others and love yourself. To love ourselves, we need to love our bodies and take care of them. We are, after all, made in the image of the divine. And when we take care of our bodies, we are able to care for others we love and show up fully without our taking on their trauma too. Let's send out a little prayer for each other, for our bodies that hold our stress and trauma and hold the stress and trauma of those we love and care about, that it can be released, or as I like to say, metabolized over time. And for all the caregivers and for anyone who is struggling with the emotional ups and downs of real life drama, let's send out a special intention for them. And all the caregivers at home and in hospitals, for them too. Think of a name of someone you know, or just think of any name. See what comes to you and say a prayer or special intention for that person. Josephine, Nancy, Alfredo, whoever, that they may experience at least a moment of divine peace today. Life is so precious. Sending love. Hope for everything. Obtain everything. You've been listening to Blink of an Eye. We ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. Never miss an episode. Please subscribe on our site, blinkofaneyepodcast.com on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen. If you have a story to share, please contact Louise Phipps Senf directly, louise at blinkofaneyepodcast.com. She would love to hear from you.